The letter to the Hebrews is almost at its end. The writer of Hebrews has been encouraging us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He has said that he understands our journey. He's been cheering us along on our journeys of faith. He's been encouraging us on this journey to, to see with eyes of faith. To not see things with physical eyes, but to see with eyes of faith. To recognize that if we see with eyes of faith, we will see things that, that normally are unseeable. We will see what God may be doing in any given circumstance or situation. But last week we agreed that sometimes it's hard to see with eyes of faith. Sometimes it's hard to see what God may be doing in any given circumstance or situations. In fact, many times it's difficult to see what God may be doing in any one circumstance. It's hard to have that kind of faith. And we said that one of the reasons that it's hard to have that kind of faith is because in a world when we, just when we get our focus set, just when we think we're able to see with eyes of faith, a circumstance or the situation changes. Everything seems to change. And the only seemingly constant thing in our life is change. But last week, the author of Hebrews had some good news for us. He said, in a world that's ever-changing, in a world where nothing seems to be the same, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we're to turn our focus to Him. That when things change and when things get difficult, we're to focus our eyes on Jesus Christ because He's always the same. And remember the encouragement we ended with last week. We said Jesus Christ is always, always, always the same in His love for you, in his truth, in his presence, in his willingness to receive any who seek him, and in his power to save. Jesus Christ is the same. But even though Jesus Christ is the same, we know it can be difficult to see with eyes of faith, but we can also be distracted and discouraged and kept from being able to focus on Jesus. And God understands this. God understands that it's, the journey is difficult. It's difficult to see with eyes of faith. And even when the encouragement is to focus on Jesus Christ throughout all the changes, it's still difficult. It's still really hard. So the author of Hebrews continues in Hebrews 13 with some further encouragement and instruction for us. So take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 13, page 976. If you don't have a Bible, I'd ask you to follow along in the Bible that the church provides. It's either in front of you or underneath your seat. Hebrews chapter 13. As I said, we're coming to the end of the letter to the Hebrews, and this is the last chapter in the book. And this author has been encouraging us how to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so far in chapter 13, he said, you know what? Hey, welcome. Be hospitable to, to strangers and to prisoners. He's encouraged us to keep the marriage bed pure, to honor marriage. Encouraged us to flee from the love of money. He's reminded us, remember that Jesus Christ will never, never, never leave you. God is always with you. He will never forsake you. And then last week, the exhortation to focus our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. And now he gives us some instruction that helps us with all of these things. Struck instruction that greatly helps us on our journeys of faith and reminds us that we're not just individuals on the journey. 
It's our tendency on our journeys of faith to think that we're all alone and to think that we have to go it by ourselves. But here, the author of Hebrews is reminding us that this journey is meant to be done together. This journey of faith that we're on is meant to be done in community and that we have the opportunity and the blessing to walk the journey together. So this morning, we're going to look at two verses, Hebrews 13, verse 7, and Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 7, the author encourages us to reflect on the good influence that our spiritual leaders of the past have had on us. And then in verse 17, the author calls us to respect and calls us to compliance with our current leaders. So look first, let's first, I'm going to read verse 7. Follow along with me. Verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now jump down to verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. In order to see with the eyes of faith, in order to focus on Jesus, to stay fixed on Jesus Christ, verse 7 says that we need to remember our leaders, we need to consider their outcome, their way of life, and we need to imitate their faith. Verse 17 says we also have to have confidence in them and submit to their authority. Now, if we're honest, looking at these two verses, we look at verse 7, remember, consider, imitate. We don't have too much difficulty with that. That's okay with us. But verse 17, verse 17 says, submit to their authority. Now, in preparing for this sermon this past week, I began to think about last week and to think about this week, and I, and I began to think to myself, you know what? In a church, everybody loves you when you preach about Jesus. Everybody thinks it's great when you preach about Jesus. But when you preach about leadership and submission to leadership, all bets are off. Maybe not so sure we like that guy. It, it kind of feels like a husband giving his wife a book on submission. You know, you're not quite sure how well that is going to go. I recognize, I recognize this morning that this is a loaded topic. I recognize that this, particularly verse 17, is a tough message. Submit to the authority of your leaders. But all throughout this year, as we've journeyed together through Hebrews, God has had us in certain verses at certain times for certain reasons. Today is no different. And the final caveat I have is remember, these are God's words. These are not my words. The Anglican preacher and theologian John Stott wrote this in his book, Between Two Worlds. Seldom, if ever, in its long history has the world witnessed such a self-conscious revolt against authority. Seldom, if ever, in its long history has the world witnessed such a self-conscious revolt against authority. Think about that quote for a minute. Is it true? Is it true in the church? I have a test for you. Here's the test. When I mention the words obedience 
and submission, what are your initial thoughts? When I say obey and submit, do you automatically think, boy, those are nice words. They're kind of pleasant to hear. I'm kind of excited about the opportunity that I have to obey or submit. Or does your spine stiffen and you start to bristle at the words obey and submit? I know the answer. Most of you, when I mention the words obey and submit, you kind of sit up straight, you kind of bristle. And I know that because when I hear the words obey and submit, I kind of stand up straight and I start to bristle and I start to think, ooh, what's coming next? Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. In our natures and in our culture, we have an aversion to authority. We have a love affair with individualism, and none of us like being told to submit to authority. So let's dig a little deeper into verse 7, into verse 17. First, let's look at verse 7. In verse 7, the author of Hebrews says, Look to your leaders. Look to the leaders of the past, those who have gone before you, those who have already run the race and crossed the finish line. Look to those people and see how they did it and allow them to help you see with eyes of faith. Allow them to help you focus on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Look to the leaders of the past. And look at the first thing for us to do. The first phrase of verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. We need to remember those who have taught us the faith. So, this morning, I have pulled some portraits from my living room. (laughs) Just making sure you're awake. I did not pull them from the living room. I pulled them from the hallway downstairs. These are leaders of Calvary Church from the past. The first one way to our left is M.R. DeHaan. He is the founder of Calvary Church. The next person is Malcolm Cronk. The next one is George Gardner, Louis Paul Lehman, and Ed Dobson. These These men were all senior pastors of Calvary Church, and they're representative of our spiritual leaders of the past. Now, they are not all inclusive of all the spiritual leadership we have in our lives. I know that many of you have other spiritual leaders in your life, and that is a good thing. But these men are our spiritual leaders collectively as the community of Calvary Church. These men are our spiritual leaders here at Calvary Church. Shepherds, pastors, leaders, guides for us along the journey. And the author of Hebrews says, look to these men and look how they lived their lives. Okay? Remember the leaders. Now, there's two things I want you to notice from this phrase. The first one, the author of Hebrews calls us to remember those who have faithfully exercised the word of God. Look what it says. Look at the language. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. There's a qualification there. And the qualification is these leaders did not speak their own opinions. They did not speak their own views. They spoke the word of God to you. When I look at these men, I think of three of them that I sat under their teaching. George Gardner, Louis Paul, and Ed Dobson. I heard all three of them preach, and I heard them preach a lot. 
Every Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, these men would come to the pulpit of Calvary Church and open up the Bible and say, this is what it says. Not their views necessarily, not their opinions, but what is it that the Word of God says? The author of Hebrews says, look to these men. Remember these leaders who have taught you the Word of God. Second, notice he doesn't say, remember your leader. He says, remember your leaders, plural leaders, not singular leaders. So these portraits need to be representative of more than just the office of the senior pastor and these particular men. These portraits are representative of elders and deacons who have also led with these men because the author of Hebrews says, remember your leaders. You see, we live in a world where there are a lot of cults of personality, and there are not only cults of personality in the world, there are cults of personality in the church where individuals identify a leader, one person, and focus on that person and make them, if you will, the hero of their faith and the focus of their faith, and they listen to anything and everything and only what that one individual says. The author of Hebrews says, no, no, no. Not remember your leader. Remember your leaders. The next phrase of verse 7 says, consider the outcome of their way of life. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying, consider the result. Look at the result of their way of life. Carefully observe how they lived. How did they run the race? What did they do to grow closer to Jesus? What is it that they did to finish the race? And how did they finish that race? How did they die? Look to these individual leaders and see how they ran the race. I think about these men and I think about George Gardner. George Gardner was the person who was instrumental in moving Calvary Church from Michigan Street out here. He has this vision that God wants us to move to this place, but as soon as, almost as soon as he announces the vision, he's diagnosed with cancer. And in fact, he never ever sees this building built. But I watched a man, I was in my mid-teens, I watched a man who faithfully continued to follow Jesus Christ while he was dying and faithfully continued to proclaim the gospel and to share the vision he had for Calvary Church. I think of Louis Paul. Louis Paul Lehman in a Christmas Eve service here at Calvary Church dropped dead right here in this spot. I was sitting up there in the last row. It was a Christmas Eve service. I was 19 years old and he walked down that aisle. He turned to deliver a message and he died. Now, you may think that that's terrible, and it's kind of rough, but what better way to go? He finished the race. He finished the race that God had marked out for him. And from beginning to end, he was faithful to do as God called him. And I think about Ed. Over a decade with ALS. Ed preached wonderful, masterful sermons here at Calvary Church. Guided this church for almost two decades, faithfully and true. But you know where I think I've learned the most from Ed? And how he's struggled with ALS. Why? Because he's been faithful. He's finishing the journey, faithfully focusing upon Jesus. 
It's a lot easier to follow Jesus when you're up here preaching good sermons. But when you're struggling with ALS, and Ed has struggled faithfully, focusing on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of his faith. So the author of Hebrews says, look to your leaders of the past. Look how they did it. Observe their life. Observe the way they ran the race and see how they finished. Because in Hebrews, that's the struggle, right? The author of Hebrews is telling us over and over again, don't quit. Don't give up. These Hebrew Christians, they're struggling. It's been a hard road. They've come to this new faith, this new Christianity, and things have not gotten easier. They've gotten more difficult. They're facing persecution, and many of them want to give up. And the author of Hebrews says, no, 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 don't give up. Don't quit. Look to the men who have gone before you. Look to the people who have gone before you, because this is not only male leadership. This is female leadership as well. This is not exclusive to males. There are many women in the history of Calvary Church who have helped us focus our eyes on Jesus, who have helped us see with the eyes of faith. I think of Hilda Osbeck. I think of Madeline Grundyke. I think of Dorothy Boli. I think of Carol Winters. I think of Helen Stewart. These are women who have helped us see with eyes of faith and helped us focus on Jesus. The author of Hebrews says, consider the outcome of their life. And then the final imperative of verse 7 is imitate their faith. This is an interesting way of putting it. Remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Now, you might have expected him to say, imitate their life or imitate their conduct, because he's been talking about life. He's been talking about conduct. But now he switches, and he doesn't talk about imitating life or conduct. He says, imitate faith. That's because if we imitate life or conduct, it's pretend, it's fake. It's maybe a counterfeit. So he says imitate faith because he recognizes that what you believe influences your actions. What you believe determines how you act. Your truth influences how you go about things on a daily basis. So the author of Hebrews says don't imitate their conduct or life. Imitate their faith. And if you imitate their faith, the conduct in life will come. So imitate their faith. Imitate the way, they li- the, the way they believed and what they believed and the actions will follow. Don't just parrot those actions. Live their faith. Now as we look at verse 7, we look at verse 7 and we see these instructions from the author of Hebrews. We see that he says, remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's the easy instruction. Now we turn to verse 17 and we look at the instruction that's likely to stretch each one of us. 17, Hebrews 13, 17, this is what it says. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. In other translations, the wording of this verse is much more direct. In, actually, in most other translations, the wording is much more direct. This is how the ESV translates this verse from the Greek. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I said early on that this is not easy instruction. In in fact, this past week, 
as I've been praying, I've been studying, and I have been trying to figure out a way not to have to preach this verse. But it's there, and so we have to go at it. And I've been trying to think of the ways in which this kind of raises, the, makes us bristle. And as I think, I think there are really two ways within our culture that really causes us, that this causes us to bristle. First is kind of the cultural aspect that we, that we, that we like to determine or we think we like to determine our own fate. That in the United States, we live in a spirit of self-determination. That anything that encumbers us, our goals and our purposes, anything that encumbers us or that we perceive to get in our way is bad. We believe that if we have free reign and we get to make all our decisions and we control everything and we set our destinies, that is all good. So culturally, this instruction to obey and to submit to the leadership of the church is culturally outrageous. But not only is it culturally outrageous because we like the idea of autonomy and self-determination, it's culturally outrageous because Because honestly, we have seen situations where power and authority has been abused. We have been witness to situations where people have used their power and authority for their own advantage. And it causes us to legitimately question power and authority when it's presented before us. So we recognize that this is a culturally outrageous statement we recognize that it can be difficult to hear this because we see situations where pastors have, have misled congregations, where pastors in a very real way have abused their congregation spiritually for their own self-aggrandizement, for lining their pocketbooks, for their own type of power play. So we recognize that this is culturally outrageous. But as I talk through this verse, I just want to remind you, please, Listen and prayerfully consider what the Word of God has to say in this regard. And remember that the misuse of a good thing is no argument against its use. The misuse of a good thing is no argument against its use. So let's dig in deeper to verse 17. The Greek words for obey and submit. The Greek words for obey and submit mean to obey and submit. (laughs) There's just no way around it. That's what these words mean. They mean to obey and submit. The difference, if any, between the two words is that obedience implies going along with directions and commands, whereas submission involves an attitude of the heart. When you think about obedience, I can obey, I can listen to what someone has to say and do what they tell me to do, yet I might not be submitting because I might be doing it with a heart that has anger, a heart that is seething on the inside. So obedience and submission work themselves together in this verse, that it's following the commands and instructions while doing it with a heart that trusts that the leadership has our best interests at heart. So there are two reasons that the author gives why we should obey and submit to godly leaders. The first reason the author gives is that they keep watch over you. Look what it says. They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. 
God has constituted various levels of authority under his ultimate authority. The purpose, listen to this, the purpose of all authority is to provide protection and blessing for those who are under the authority. I look at the portraits behind me. I look at the pictures of these five men, and I recognize that their purpose and their goal, their primary purpose and their primary goal was that so people, the congregation, would grow more in love with Jesus would become more like Jesus Christ. So on the day of the Lord, when they present themselves to Christ, they are like him. Their goal, their purpose was blessing and protection, helping the congregation see with eyes of faith, helping the congregation focus with eyes of faith, helping us to become more like Jesus. God establishes the authority of civil governments to protect the citizens that are in and under the government. God establishes in the family, God appoints husbands to have authority under Christ in order to protect and bless wives and children. And in the church, God has appointed elders and pastors to oversee the flock. In the church, God has appointed elders and pastors to oversee the flock for their protection and for their blessing. But this authority is not without check. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 983. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter tells us that godly leaders look much different than worldly leaders. Look at what he says. They should be an example to the flock, shepherds who watch over the flock, not pursuing dishonest gain, not lording it over the flock. This is the standard by which the leader of God, the leader of the church, will be judged. This is how God will judge them. Jesus himself says something very similar in Mark 10. Look what Jesus says. Jesus called them together. This is the disciples. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Jesus Christ demands a different kind of leader. Now turn back to Hebrews 13. Back to Hebrews 13. Now we're back in Hebrews 13, and we see what the author of Hebrews has written. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. None of what we've read in 1 Peter or Jesus' words nullifies the command of Hebrews 13, but it does shape it, and it gives it a certain spirit, and it puts limits on it to show both groups, leaders and congregation, a beautiful kind of dynamic that can exist when the situation, when both parties are properly fulfilling their responsibilities. 
And the leaders in the congregation must always remember that those in authority are never in absolute authority. Those in authority are never in absolute authority. And what I mean by that is when the author of Hebrews says that the leaders must give an account, that means that the leaders have to answer to God for every decision that they make. God is going to judge the leaders for every decision that they make. Every single one. And look at again in verse 17. It's also important to note here that leaders is plural. The New Testament is clear that there is to be a plurality of elders over the church. In the plurality of elders, the plurality of leadership within the church is to guard against spiritual abuse of authority. So when all the elders come together and have wrestled through an issue, biblically and in prayer, and they all agree, recognize that they're not infallible, but there is a chance that they are likely right. Now there should in all situations be room for biblically-based discussion. But when the elders come to a decision, come to a consensus, the church in response should obey and submit to the leadership of the elders unless it is clearly against Scripture. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Now, who do you think is under this one? I would love to be able to have a different one under there because then it would trick you all. (laughs) Jim Samra. Jim Samra is the senior pastor of Calvary Church. And Jim Samra is my boss. Now, Jim Samra and I are friends, but I never forget that Jim Samra is my boss. God has placed Jim Samra in authority over me. Even though I am almost five years older than Jim, Jim... You you think I'm like 10 years younger, don't you? (laughs) Even though I'm 10 years younger than, no. Even though I'm five years, almost five years older than Jim, Jim, God has placed Jim in authority over me as my boss. Now, as you can imagine, there's lots of issues at Calvary Church. We deal with issues weekly. We deal with issues monthly. We deal with issues on a yearly basis. And we discuss those issues. Often Jim comes into my office or I'm in his office and we're having a conversation about vision, about direction, about where Calvary might be headed. And we have a discussion. Now, most of the time, not much of the time, Jim and I agree on things we talk about. But there are times when Jim and I don't agree. And I tell him, you know what? I don't agree with you. I don't think you're right. But guess what? It doesn't matter. Now, he listens to me, but here's the thing. God has made him the senior pastor at Calvary Church, not me. God has given him the authority to make the decision, not me. And here's how this works. I am going to be judged and evaluated by God, judged and evaluated by God on whether I obey and submit to his decision. But guess what? Jim is not off the hook. Because Jim is going to be judged and evaluated by God for the decisions he makes. So in a very real way, sometimes we look at this and we think about the cup being half empty. In a very real way, the cup is half full for me. Because he bears the responsibility of the decision, I'm kind of free just to do my thing. All I have to do is obey and submit. Now I've voiced my opinion. We've had a biblically based discussion. 
but Jim is the one who holds the authority, not me. Now, you may think it ends there. Now, I know you don't think I make most of the decisions for Calvary Church, but you may think that Jim Samra makes most of the decisions for Calvary Church, and you would be incorrect because just like I have to submit to Jim's authority, Jim submits to the elder's authority. You see, Jim is an elder at Calvary Church, but he is one of 14 men who are elders, 15 total, men who are elders at Calvary Church. And they have the ultimate authority at Calvary Church to make decisions. So Jim has the responsibility to obey and submit. And Jim is going to be evaluated and judged on how he obeys and submits to the elders of Calvary Church. And the elders of Calvary Church are going to be evaluated and judged on the decisions that they make. The author of Hebrews says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Which brings us to the second reason why it's good for us to submit to our leader's authority. Look at how the end of, look at how verse 17 ends. It says we should obey and submit so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The author of Hebrews states that our obedience and our submission to our leaders is for our benefit. It's for our good. Now, I told you the purpose in, a giving, in God giving this authority is for our protection and for our blessing, which is true. But there's also another way that it is for your benefit. And I mentioned it a little bit in regard to my relationship with Jim, that it's freeing. Think about this with me for a minute. If you submit to the leadership that God has placed over you, it is freeing for you as well. You see, in my relationship with Jim, he's the senior pastor. I am not the senior pastor. He makes senior pastor decisions. I do not make senior pastor decisions. But that's okay. Because I don't make senior pastor decisions, I am allowed to be the associate pastor that God has called me to be, and I am free to do the things that God has called me to do without having to worry about the control that God has given Jim. The problem happens when I get out of my sweet spot and want to move into his world and control what God has given him to control. And all that does for me is place a burden on me that I don't need. Because God has called me to be the associate pastor and to do what he's called me to do. Likewise, each one of you have the same type of situation. You have been called to be obedient and submissive to the spiritual leadership that God has put into place over you for your protection and for your blessing. And if you do that, it also allows you to freely do what God has called you to do. And there is no better place to be than in the place that God has called you to be doing what he has called you to do. So embrace the idea of obeying and submitting to the leadership that God has placed over you because it is for our protection and it is for our benefit. Each one of us are on journeys of faith. And these journeys are difficult. They are hard. They are trying. I don't have to convince you of that. You know how long the journeys are. You know how hard it is to go it alone. 
God says, you don't have to go it alone. You have this community of faith that you're a part of. And together we are on a journey of faith. And God has blessed us with leadership to help us, to guide us, so that we can see with eyes of faith and so that we can focus on Jesus Christ. Embrace it. And then just one last final thought. If you've ever thought to yourself, hmm, I don't know about that decision they made. I don't like that decision they made. I wish they changed that decision they made. Man, if I were there, I'd do things a lot differently. One last thing. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, pray. Pray for us. If you think God should change the leadership's mind, pray. If you think we should be going in a different direction, pray. The instruction from the author of Hebrews is pray for your leaders. Pray, pray, pray. And I promise you, results will happen that are in line with God's will. Pray. So, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us to this place this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, to give us wisdom and discernment, Lord, to help us on this journey of faith that you have us on. And Lord, we recognize that, that the journey is not always easy. We also recognize that the instruction is not always easy, that oftentimes the instruction is, is difficult and is hard to follow. So I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us, that you would give each one of us a spirit that is like your spirit, a Lord, a spirit that is willing to submit just as Jesus Christ submitted to God the Father. Lord, we want to be like your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to be like him. Help us to have the mind of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.